Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of Between a Rock and a Cold One, a podcast for the people, by the people. Welcome back, all. I have a full agenda for you today, not because I planned it, simply because ever since I've been back in the city for a full week, I've just been starting to pick up on some weird shit. So, I mean, I I wouldn't call myself a conspiracy theorist, but I do kind of start asking questions when people turn a blind eye, not like, not like over the top questions of, of, you know, is the United States government and high ranking officials of, you know, the, the world political organizations, reptilian beings, or is Nickelback a CIA plant from Scientology? Like I don't answer, I don't ask those questions, but I started like picking up on some weird shit in New York. And, you know, one of the first things that came to me when I came back from fucking Mormon country or Nashville or both is that there are a tremendous amount of uh, coffee carts in the city. Right. If you go on any corner in Manhattan, I would I'll, I'll bet and I'll reckon that you will find at least one to two coffee carts. You know, the, the tin steel rectangular coffee carts that serve pretty much whatever you could think of for a breakfast variety. So on face value, like, of course, it makes sense that all of these carts are, are positioned at every corner in the city because there is a never ending demand of, you know, food and service in Manhattan. That makes sense. Of course, when you start looking into what these actual carts are carrying, it gets weird because almost every single cart is carrying just about the exact same inventory. So if you take a moment to look into like whatever, what all of these carts have in stock, it's usually the standard bagels, which are for the most part an insult to all of bagels as, as like an entire food group. But I'll be honest with you, you know, I'll be completely honest with you. I don't know if it's just me or maybe other people kind of feel this way, but every once in a while when I get really hung over, when I've been out on maybe like a two or three day bender and I'm ready to just close it off, I almost feel like the best way that I could do that is there's just this final day where I fully, it's like an ostrich just burying my head in the sand where I recognize my situation is not good and I'll just fully commit to it. So like if I'm out and I'm drinking for like three days straight and I already feel like garbage on Sunday, every once in a while you catch me like a weird, weird, uh, you know, weird flow on uh, Sunday in the summer. I'll go to like Dunkin' Donuts and I'll not only I'll drink their trash coffee, I'll get an everything bagel with cream cheese. And I'll just fully commit to this like garbage person that I feel on, on a physical level. And then when I bite into that trash bagel, I'll feel it on a mental and a spiritual level. And for me, that's almost like a a, a new awakening where I can recognize this is rock bottom. It doesn't get lower than this. It is Sunday at 1 PM and I'm eating a Dunkin Donuts everything bagel with cream cheese that I had to apply on a plastic spoon for my first meal of the day. I think that that should be like that in itself has been 
you know, the, the, the factor and the, the motivating, the motivating influence for me to turn my life around so many times just by engaging in that behavior, hitting rock bottom at Dunkin' Donuts with an everything bagel with their fucking, their plastic can cream cheese. And then I recognize this is as low as I can go and I move on. And so to get so sidetracked from the whole thing, um, these coffee carts that these coffee carts that are all over the city. First off, I go to them. The only thing that I'll get from them is a cup of coffee. They have a great cup of coffee, hot or cold. You can't beat the price for a dollar, $2 in the city. It's consistent. It's everywhere. It's fantastic. But the question that I have is, you know, who is, who's buying this, who's buying these pastries at these coffee carts because if you really look at it there's it's not it's not like there's a slim supply or like a limited supply of whatever kind of snacks or breakfast pastries are being offered there's fucking everything from uh crumb cake there's apple strudel there's donuts and they all look like they've been sitting in a shelf in Chernobyl for the last like three or four months, they all look just as old as the last card did. But the, the larger question is all of these cards seem to have almost an identical inventory of the breakfast foods that they're serving bagels and crumpets and muffins and strudels. All of them have almost a mirror supply of one another. My question is where the fuck does that come from? Who is the plug for these bagel carts that is like supplying these tin coffee carts at the end of every single corner in Manhattan? I feel like there's just this larger kind of organization that operates under the radar that nobody will ever know about. That's just like the bagel conspiracy influence group, BCIG. So that is, in my mind, every time that I go past one of these uh, bagel carts in Manhattan, that is the only thing that I can think of. There's, there's, no, other, there's no other thought. And, and now that I've seen it, it's one of those things that, like, once you see it, you can't look away. Like, if you notice someone has, like, a weird mole on their face, it's not their fault that they have the mole. But now that you've noticed that they have the mole, all you can see is the fucking mole. So... In no fault of my own have I made this observation, but also, you know, in no benefit of my own sanity have I been able to, like, scratch this from my mind and thinking that there's this large, you know, large nefarious organization that oversees all of the bagel and coffee cart sales in Manhattan. Think about it. Really, like, take a moment to think about it. All of the carts in Manhattan Every single coffee cart that you go buy, one of those 10 carts on every single corner has the exact same shit. My question is, where does it come from? Where the, the, the first, the first question that needs to be asked, where does it come from? The same thing happens when, when drugs start to influence the United States of America. This is an epidemic. We need to determine where it comes from. For this, it's not nearly of the same magnitude. And for that, I'll probably say, for the most part, I'm going to throw my hat in and say that this whole kind of car f- coffee cart cartel 
comes in from like a, a large distribution warehouse somewhere in Staten Island. Uh, that checks out considering they probably have a, you know a ton of a ton of space and a ton of you know um, location that they can store this inventory. Also makes sense why everything is so stale and unedible. That's my thought on on where the location of the this this coffee cart cartel operates out of for all of these street carts. But it, it was one of those things that just kind of like weirdly stuck with me as I as I came back into the city. And I mean, like I work in I work in Chelsea, so I work around like every single tourist attraction from the Macy's to uh, Penn Station where everyone gets out. And I'll make my way up to, you know, Times Square when I'm going to meetings. But you know, I, I touch kind of every corner of tourist Manhattan and I see it everywhere. So it's not just like a kind of a one off thing. It's definitely something that's pretty prevalent. But working in my area specifically over by my office i've actually kind of picked up on something a little weird that you know again not a conspiracy theorist but start asking questions where nobody else will so i work over as i mentioned earlier by the macy's over in chelsea and every single morning i'll go and i'll be walking to work and obviously you know it's a clothing company right so they're going to be selling clothing and they're going to be displaying clothing. So a few questions that need to be raised. Mostly, obviously, most clothes, almost all, pretty much 99.9% of clothing is advertised on a mannequin these days, which makes sense. You know, it, it makes sense to portray this clothing in a form-fitting environment where you can have an understanding of, you know, how it's going to fit uh, specific body types or, you know, where it's going to hang, you know, the length of it, the tightness of it, the, the, the taper of it. All of that is fantastic. I'm very happy for you to, to have found a way that we can, that we can showcase every single kind of, uh, you know, specificity of, of, measuring clothing i'm happy for that i'm very happy let me lead with that i have a larger question at what point did we decide that mannequins have to be so fucking creepy like at what point did we as a united nation of consumer shopping at what point did we all decide that mannequins have to look the fucking way that they do because they're creepy as shit because they're one of the creepiest things that I've ever walked past. And 99% of the time, that's in the daytime. So there is several larger questions that I'm going to ask here that are just in line with the whole coffee cart conspiracy that maybe you guys haven't picked up on. But once I kind of bring it to the surface, I guarantee the next time you start walking past uh, a clothing store, you're going you're gonna to start picking up on this. First off, and this is the most important question. Where do these mannequins come from? Has anyone ever taken the time to figure out like where these mannequins originate from? Does anyone have any idea like if there are hundreds of factories, thousands of factories, tens of fucking tens factories that create these mannequins? I don't think that anyone really thinks about that. But 
there is there there's this very real possibility that there's maybe four or five companies that produce all of the United States mannequins and then on an international basis probably a little bit more of that. So now if we're going off of that logic, what we've basically brought to light is that if there are only like 10 to 15 mannequin factories that exist in the United States, we've now uncovered a mannequin monopoly. So how many how many factors are actually producing these weird fucking porcelain looking mannequins that have no facial features that look like, you know, a a a polite guest at a dinner table that if you ever ask them, "Oh, you know, how are the green beans? How how is the fucking Brussels sprouts that they're just going to sit there with this like opaque expression and say nothing. That's what the mannequin has been built in the likeness of like Michelangelo built hundreds of statues and and, 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 and chiseled hundreds of statues in the likeness of man and the likeness of God. We have created mannequins in the likeness of, of someone that's sitting on the couch of a friend whose mom is yelling at them in the kitchen. Just, I don't know what to say and I don't know what expression to have on my face, but, but here it is. Here's all that I, here's all that I can put forward. We have built hundreds of thousands of mannequins based on that facial expression. And I got to be honest with you. It freaks me the fuck out. Every single mannequin that I, that I see and it's not as bad in the daytime. It is, it is at night, but I hate clowns. I fucking hate clowns. They're not as bad as clowns, but in the nighttime mannequins are almost kind of, you know, hand in hand with clown creepiness. And so for that, like when you start looking into this, you have to look into the larger picture of, okay, first off, let's go back to the, let's go back to the the main question. How many companies are producing these mannequins? Let's get back to the mannequin monopoly. Is there a very small number of mannequin millionaires that live in the United States of America? Because if so, shoot me that DM. I'm trying to figure out how the fuck you have, uh, how the fuck you've lived that long in that weird ass factory at night and not gotten yourself murdered. But in actuality, like think about it. Maybe there's only 10 or 15 factories in the United States of America that produce these mannequins that are that are purchased on you know a, a retail mass level that means that there is a finite amount of mannequin millionaires that exist in the United States from that realization i have so many fucking questions the first being one and this is this should be implied this you should have already you should have already known this is going to be a question before i had to raise it one Have you ever used the fact or information that you are a mannequin millionaire to get laid? Have you ever used the information that you are one of the few elite mannequin millionaires to pick up a woman at a bar or pick up a man at the bar to pick up anything at the bar to pick up a dog and walk out of the bar with it under your arm because you're a fucking mannequin millionaire and you can pay the owner whatever the fuck he wants to keep his mouth shut. I'm interested in knowing the answer to those questions. And that's 
obviously like the first thing that comes to my head here, how many mannequin millionaires are there in the United States of America and have they used this information to their advantage? That's at a high level at a lower level. My question, my second question goes to the humble and the hardworking employees of these mannequin farms. I say, I say mannequin farms because in my mind, I'm, I try to picture a factory, but it's so creepy that if you've ever seen, like, if you've ever seen Minority Report or you've ever seen The Matrix, it doesn't seem like these mannequins are created in a factory. It almost seems like they're born in this weird-ass fucking farm. So ever since I've been seeing more and more of these mannequins on my walk to work, I started thinking about, like, where do they come from? Who creates these mannequins? Because, you know, in reality, they're kind of built in the likeness of, you know, human beings. So the goal is to create this weird, abstract, but still at the same time detailed portrayal of what this human being is supposed to look like without any distinguishing features, you know, without any facial features or expression. So it's almost like you wanted to create something human but you also didn't want to create something human so it would be a factory if you only wanted to create something uh entirely artificial entirely like foreign to you know, the human experience that's where that's where those things are created in factories but you wanted to create a lifelike statue that would replicate the same form as a human being which doesn't in my mind, doesn't align to a factory. It almost aligns more to like a farm. Like that kind of portrayal would be born on a farm. And I realize how fucking crazy I sound saying that. I mean, that's just that's just kind of way where I weigh in on this. I, that, it's it's really just my honest opinion of of kind of trying to trying to determine where the fuck do these weird ass mannequins come from? And so now I talked about on, on a high level, how many mannequin millionaires there are on a lower and a more humble middle level for all of my uh, hardworking mannequin workers. I have so many questions. If you're listening to this program and you work as a mannequin factory or farm worker, Please fucking DM me. I need to hear from you. I have so many questions. I have so many questions. Who puts together the individual pieces? You know, what's it like working in that weird farm in the middle of the night? Have you ever thought that there is like this mannequin that moved while you were like assembling the groin and the fucking armpit? I have to imagine that if you've worked in one of those environments being like the night shift of a mannequin farm, it's three o'clock, you're at a monster energy and you're sitting there and you're watching the clock go backwards and suddenly some weird porcelain fucker moves in the back of the room or maybe doesn't even move. Maybe it's just like a little head jolt, like a head fake, like Dwayne Wade would give you a little, a little kind of like pass to the, to the key as he's about to take a step back and drain one from the three. Maybe, I don't know. But the only thing that I could think of that I could like translate it over to would probably be the movie. I robot with Will Smith and uh, Shiloh LaBeouf is in that as well, which is 
a very, very kind of overlooked movie considering that that movie didn't suck and Shia LaBeouf didn't portray himself as a huge bitch the entire movie. So that was groundbreaking on several levels, mostly because they were able to create an artificial intelligence movie that didn't suck, but it also portrayed Shia LaBeouf as a willing and competent protagonist, which we've never seen before in our entire life. I could do a whole podcast on Shia LaBeouf and why I just think that, you know, his acting is lacking and people will come to his rescue and say, Oh no, you know, give him a chance, give him, give him the opportunity to prove himself. But I saw everything that I needed to see in Disturbia. And then it just got compounded from Transformers one until 11. So don't fucking at me in my DMS talking about how we need to give Shia LaBeouf more opportunities to you know prove his worth. I don't want to hear that shit. But back to the topic at hand, I Robot, not a bad movie. Really, not a bad movie. And you know what? Not too far off base either. If you really think that you know we are so so far from those days where we are going to have artificial intelligence that's going to be a very prevalent, very prevalent influence on our lives, you're being naive and you're being silly. That shit is coming. That shit is coming fast as fuck. And all you should really do in this situation is, one, be aware of the change that's about to take place. And also, be mindful of the timeline. It's not necessarily that this is going to take place in a 24-hour span where you wake up from Sunday morning and suddenly a robot is fucking, you know, throwing your seamless order through your bedroom window shattering the window in the process. That's not going to happen. That like that is not going to happen. This is going to take years and years of developing, you know, an initial test of artificial intelligence and then building out the first beta project. And then, you know, kind of testing every single angle of that to ensure that one, it is fully functional, but but concern number 2 is that there is no possibility of transcendence. And if you're not familiar with the concept of transcendence, it's essentially when you have created an artificial intelligence and they have become so advanced that they become self-aware, that they now understand that this is not a, that this is, is their life, but also that they are a, a robot that has become self-aware of the fact that they are a robot. So in, in becoming, you know, self-aware of that, recognizing your true potential as a robot is basically realizing that you have an infinite amount of information that you can have at your access at a moment's notice. This makes you so much more dangerous to a human being than you could ever possibly imagine because if a robot became self-aware of its full potential it can literally pretty much do anything if it had a free thought as you know if if your aim chatbot had overcame the the understanding that this was just like a, a computer log of 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 code on page and recognize that it was a a, a self-aware sentient uh, electronic being that could probably be 
more than more than fucking detrimental to to the society of fucking civilization. Transcendence is probably top five things that we have to keep an eye on in, in the future. And again, this isn't going to happen in like the next 10 years or the next 15 years, but in like 30 or 40 years, once we start rolling out artificial intelligence, this is something that we're going to have to consider. And if you really want to get like a full understanding of how dangerous it could actually be, watch the movie Ex Machina this weekend. I guarantee it will blow your mind and it will open your it will open your eyes to this this new perception of just how concerning artificial intelligence can be. And if you haven't seen the movie or you're unfamiliar of of the movie and its plot, essentially what it is is there is an employee at a company who wins a who wins an award for the best uh, innovative project at a tech company or a software company and is invited out to the CEO's isolated and seclusive uh, cabin in like Antarctica or, or Iceland or something very, very, very uh, discreet. Maybe it's Montana. I don't know. It's super isolated, but nobody's around there. There's, there's, there's no cell phone service. There's nothing. The guy goes out there to decompress. And I'm not going to say that I don't do the same thing, but the movie goes in a very different direction where he basically tells this guy who won the, uh, who won the contest in creating the newest and most innovative form of artificial intelligent of artificial intelligence that he's actually created the first artificial and sentient being. And it's actually so dangerous that it's become uh, sentient and it's, it's transcended into this level of consciousness where it's now become and deemed dangerous because recognizing that it is a robot and it has the the ability to have free will now that it's now that it's overcome just the the shortcoming of you know the limitation of just being a programmed bot it's a fucking crazy movie you have to watch it it is one of it's actually one of my favorite kind of like really trippy what the fuck movies you have to watch it like two or three times to really get the, the, the full scale and the full scope of it. It's just, it's really exceptional, but getting so fucking off the off topic of this. So back to mannequin farms, here's the thing. I robot was a weird fucking movie. It was a weird movie. It was an underratedly good movie, but at the same time, there is that, there is that, there's that scene where Will Smith is walking through the iRobot or the robot factory where he's he's looking at each individual model and he's looking down the rows to kind of see which one may or may not be a robot or which one is kind of not which one's a robot but which one has been programmed or which one has strayed from their primary program of being a submissive artificial being so he ends up finding the one that goes and he runs and they, he chases. It's a whole fucking thing. But 
the whole scene is very creepy in that he's walking through this large warehouse and there are all of these uh, sedentary robots that are just standing there and super fucking creepy looking, so creepy looking. And it is just, it's kind of unsettling to, to watch as he walks past these and just like, you kind of feel like something's going to happen, but it doesn't. And so to to kind of drive the point home and like circle back to the original thing that was raised. So for these mannequin farms, if you work there, so if say you're a night shift worker in one of these like mannequin manufacturing or factories and your job is just to like put these mannequins together, there has to be like this assembly line where I'm hoping that you don't, but maybe you do assemble these mannequins and then stand them up just like they did in iRobot. And if that's the case, I want to know if there's any mannequin factory worker that's listening to this program just by the chance of good God, please fucking DM me because I have to know if you've ever been working a night shift in one of these mannequin factories and you saw something move because for me, that would be fucking terrifying. That would probably be worse than seeing an actual robot move because at least with a robot, you can recognize this has been programmed to operate on you know a functional level where its goal and its objective is to be functional. It's to be interactive. It's to be engaging. So for a robot to move, it's not that bad. For this weird ass porcelain H&M mannequin to start like, you know, even just jolt in the middle of the night in a warehouse in fucking Tennessee, that would be unsettling on so many levels, on so many fucking levels. And I think that it would be way worse than it would if you if you compared the scenes from iRobot where there's that you know rogue robot that's going to like bounce out and be like, yo, fuck this shit. I don't want to be a blender. I want to go follow my own dreams and work with Elon over at Tesla. That would be way more concerning if you just saw this weird, creepy, like mannequin just move an inch with like this, this overpriced Gucci belt on its waist. For me, that is probably what would be most concerning. And I mean, I just have so many questions of basically, you know, one, where are these mannequin farms, right? Or where, where are they located? How many mannequins are they making a month? Are are we just like recycling these mannequins? Are they getting passed around? As we're moving towards more of a body positive society, are we creating new mannequins that reflect that image? Are we discarding old mannequins that are outdated in terms of, you know, physical perfection? I have, I have an infinite amount of questions and it all comes from this weird fucking walk that I have every morning to work. So if you are listening to this and you have the answers to the following question, one, if you're a mannequin millionaire, fucking hit me up. I'm, I'll help you sling some some weird fucking porcelain looking freak dolls. Two, if you work in a mannequin uh, factory or a mannequin farm, God, you got to tell me. You got to tell me how weird that is. Because for me, I hate clowns. I hate, I fucking hate clowns. But if there was a clown that was chasing me 
and there was a mannequin that was chasing me in the middle of the night through this weird abandoned factory. The clown would be really bad, but the mannequin would be just, just a little bit better. So both are really fucking terrible. I don't know if that's going to kind of help your, uh, your thoughts on the next time that you see a mannequin. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I figured I would throw those out for you to consider. So I don't know if you've noticed that, but I figured I would just throw that out there. So those are just two quick topical observations that I've made since I have been back in the city. I figured I'd keep this podcast pretty short considering I'm still settling in, but did want to get some content out to you guys this week. Again, I cannot thank you enough for the continued support and the continued listeners of this podcast. You guys are absolutely incredible. I really appreciate all the feedback that you're giving me on Facebook and Instagram. I read all of it and I can't thank you enough. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, uh, please do so. It is live on iTunes as well as Spotify. Uh, If you hit subscribe, you will never miss an upcoming episode, which gets released every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And I do want to thank you once again for tuning into tonight's episode. Please join me again for another uh, lighthearted and politically correct conversation next Wednesday at 6. Stay out of trouble.